Hey, hey, it is Dennis Worth with Funny Like a Clown Podcast. It is episode 30, June 23rd, 2019, coming out of Gardner, Massachusetts, little town outside of Boston. We are here to discuss comedian legend, living legend, Andrew Dice Clay. As always, Funny Like a Clown Podcast is brought to you by G Vegas Buffalo Sauce for the spicy, sweet, savory taste of game time. There is only one G Vegas available at www.gvegas.webs.com. So go get yourself some buffalo sauce, listen to the podcast over some chicken wings. And uh, to discuss the dice man, we have uh, Boston comedian Sean Sorrow on the phone. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dennis. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How's life in Boston? Uh, it's okay, you know. Just trying to stay busy. That's all shows. you can do in comedy is try. Keep going, keep hitting mics, and hope something happens. But well, what makes uh, Andrew Dice Clay one of your favorite comics? Oh, he was—he was probably the first comedian I've ever seen. Like when I was a little kid. Really? Yeah, I remember. I remember like watching HBO, but like the volume down real low, so my mother wasn't here. Yeah, yeah. I got. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. You gotta hide in your room and hug your head in your pillow, yeah. laughing so they don't hear you, right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, uh, all the stuff he's done, and he's had a long legend. We got a lot of stuff to go over. But do you have a favorite memory of him? Uh, that's probably my favorite memory is watching the old clips, like uh, his special, and then seeing him on uh, Dangerfield. The Dangerfield special, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Rodney broke a lot of legends in uh, him, Sam Kennison, Roseanne Barr. Uh, Tim Allen, he gave he gave all the comics we listen to today their starts. So, but I mean, I, I put Dice Clay in the living legend category because I mean, you got comedians like Sam Kennison, Chris Farley, Belushi. You know, the their lives were ended early, so I mean, the stuff they put out was amazing, but they didn't have the long careers that you know the Priors and the Carlins and Andrew Dice Clay had. So, I have to put them in the living legend category. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the amount of work this guy's put out over the years is just just amazing to look on the longevity of his career. And you know, comedy's a tough business. You don't survive long in this business unless you keep your nose to the grindstone. You know. Exactly. You always got to constant, constant grind. All right. So let's see. Uh, Andrew Clay Silverstein. He rose to prominence in the '80s uh, with a brash, macho, offensive persona known as the Dice Man. And, uh, well, now do you think, I mean, he came up in the right time, because in the 80s, nobody was offended by nothing, and nowadays, everybody's offended by everything. Do you think that hurts comedy, where you, you have to really watch what you say nowadays? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I experience it every night when I go out. Yeah, because, I mean, you do a dirty act. You do what we call blue comedy in the, in the field. I mean, well, what are some of the experiences you've had with doing blue comedy? Uh, not getting booked on certain shows. Yeah, it's tougher to get booked because not everybody will accept that type of comedy, right? I mean, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to do a wedding or something like that doing that kind of comedy. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty much the bar scene, right? But I mean, you must have success in the bar scene because I mean, that's people that go to bars are looking for that kind of comedy, right? Oh yeah, that's my crowd. It's like kind of a rowdy crowd. We try to get them all together. Right, right, right. Now you you book. What do you book up in Boston? You got a room you book at the bar, right? What is it? Uh, yeah, at the Ontane. What is it? The Ontane, Ontane? Street in Boston. Is that like Poontane, but it's an Ontane? I don't know. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an Irish bar. Okay. It's, it's Gaelic. All right. Yeah, I, I do two open mics over there. So it's not gay, it's Gaelic, right? What's that? It's not gay, it's Gaelic, right? 
Yeah, Gaelic. Yeah. I got you. Okay. <laughs> I got a fucked. I got a fucked up accent. <laughs> All right. So if you're in Boston, you're a comedian, or want to check out a show, check that out. But uh, let's see. In 1990, he became the first comedian to sell out Madison Square Garden for two consecutive nights. Now, can you, can you imagine? That's an arena. That's not even a comedy club. That's not a hall. That's an arena. Yeah, that's crazy. That's like like waves of laughs. Uh, that's just, I mean, you know, the biggest sport, the Patriots, the Celtics, the Knicks, I mean, a comedian to have that kind of a crowd, that shows how big this guy was at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not a big fan of comedy in arenas. I like it in little small rooms, you know? Right, right, more intimate, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you got to respect it. Yeah, I mean, to sell that many tickets, not many comics can pull that off, I'll tell you. Um... That same year, he uh, led to a role in the movie Ford Fairlane. Now, that was pretty much a box office flop. Did you see Ford Fairlane? Yeah, I remember. I snapped it on a VCR tape. What'd you think of it? I thought it was okay. It was okay. Uh, it was one of those, he was so big at the time, you had to see it. Even if somebody told you it was a flop, you were going to go see it anyway. It didn't matter, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I thought it did have some, some funny parts, but overall, it was a poor movie. But he was so big, it was something you had to see. But, um... He appeared in several films and TV shows critically acclaimed after that in supporting roles. He was in Woody Allen's Blue Jasmine in 2013, Brad Cooper's The Star is Born in 2019, and he continues to act and do stand-up comedy. But, I mean, everybody remembers him for the failure of Ford Fairlane, but he did have some really good acting roles after that that were critically acclaimed. Did you see any of his other acting movies or no? No, to be honest, I haven't seen any of them. He's be he's better known for his stand-up comedy, and I mean, you you gotta respect that because I mean, when you make that much money, he still continue to do stand-up. Or like people like Eddie Murphy, once he started doing movies, he cut the stand-up out. He didn't do stand-up anymore. But I mean, I always thought like Carlin. Carlin made a ton of money, but he did stand-up till the day he died because it was just what he loved to do. You know? Yeah, I like Red Fox a lot too. Who's that? Red Fox. Red Fox. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he had a TV, he had a, a stand-up show on HBO one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was big back in the day, absolutely, yeah. Uh, he was in one of uh, Harlem Nights there, Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and Red Fox. He was in that movie, yeah, Sanford and Son Classic. So, let's see, um, in 2018, I didn't even know this about him until I looked it up, 2018, he launched a podcast, I'm over here now, that lasted for 46 episodes. Did you know he had a podcast or no? No. I didn't either. So I'm going to have to go look up those 46 called? episodes. That's worth watching, right? Yeah, wait, what was it called? I'm over here now. He named it after one of his specials there. Because he had a special called I'm over here now, then he named the podcast after that. I'm over here now. Yeah. Uh, let's see, he was born in Brooklyn. Uh, at age five, he entertained his family with impressions. He attended school in New York where he worked the circus. He was a drummer to begin with in the 70s. He played bars, bar mitzvahs, weddings under the name Clay Silverstein. Um, he went to pursue a higher education, but dropped out to pursue comedy full-time. He uh, credits his inspirations as Elvis, The Fonz, John Travolta, and Sylvester Stallone. But who, who are some of the guys besides Dice who inspired you to want to do comedy? Uh, Eddie Murphy, Ronnie Dangerfield. The classics, yeah, yeah but, but Dice was pretty much your number one guy, or? Yeah, yeah, because we the first one, you know? Yeah, and it opened you up to everything he did, right? Now, I, I worked with a kid, and he don't even remember, I don't want to date myself a mold, but he don't even remember who the Fonz is. Do you remember who the Fonz is? 
yeah. From Happy Days. All right. So it's not. I was in shock. He didn't know who the Fonz was, but I mean, uh, let's see. Um, he began stand up. He auditioned at Pep's Comedy Club in 1978, which turned into a headlining gig the following week. So they must have really liked his act when he uh, auditioned. Uh, his act took three weeks to put together, with impressions including uh, Jerry Lewis's Nutty Professor and John Travolta from Greece. And um, other than, you know, Jerry Lewis and John Travolta, one of the personas he had was the Dice Man, which that was actually a character he did within his whole act. It wasn't his entire act at the time. But do you, do you remember in his early stand-up that him doing impressions of Jerry Lewis and uh, John Travolta? Uh, I've never actually seen him do that in a stand-up routine. Yeah, it was, it was I, one I of his earlier ones. That was his act where he did, uh, I mean, he did all the filthy stuff, but he filled it in with the... Uh, with the impressions that he did. He was actually a very good impressionist, yeah. Let's see, he graduated to uh, the Improv Comedy Club and Catch a Rising Star in Dangerfields, as you said. Uh, but he, he said that every time he did the Dice Man character as compared to the other characters that he does, that he could see the reaction from the crowd. He knew that it really worked, the character of the Dice Man. And eventually he turned that into his entire act was the Dice Man, you know? Have you ever had like a joke that worked better than other ones and you stuck to that one or? Oh yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, only to find out you know, they don't work the next night. <laughs> yeah, that's why every night's different in comedy, I tell you. Every crowd's different. But if it was the same night every night, you wouldn't even enjoy doing it, would you? Exactly. You wouldn't have any motivation to get better. Right. Uh, let's see. In 1980, he relocated to L.A. and he uh, landed work at the Comedy Store with Mitzi Shore. And, I mean, that's the legendary, I mean, could you think of another comedy place bigger than the Comedy Store? That just, that's the legendary place that launched. Yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, have you ever thought about performing there, or is that one of your dreams to get out there someday, or? Uh, I, I, I went by there one time, I signed up for the open mic they had over there. There was probably like a hundred people on the list. It was yeah. a lottery. I didn't get picked, though. Oh. I got connections. I went down there and I actually did perform in there. So I can always say I performed at the comedy store, so that's kind of cool. So, um, he, he wasn't an immediate success at the comedy store because uh, other acts wouldn't follow him because he was too dirty. And, I mean, he'd get a big reaction. But, I mean, have you ever dealt with that in comedy where you don't get booked? Well, I mean, you, you're starting out. But, I mean, it gets to a level when you start getting more laughs than the headliner... People don't want to book anymore because they don't want you stealing the show from them. They want to be, you know, the star of the show. And I got to the point when I was featuring, I was starting to get, you know, more laughs than some of the headliners that were booking me at the time. Then they stopped booking me because they didn't want me stealing the show from them. But have you, have you ever had experienced something like that where somebody wouldn't book you for an odd reason? Uh, no, not for that. Not for those reasons. Not for those, just, just for probably being too dirty, as you mentioned, right? For, for... Yeah, just, uh, they think I'm a liability. <laughs> well, so you experienced some of the same stuff Dice did where, so they had to put him on late night, he said, where he performed for about at the end of the night, you know, when everybody else was done, he performed for the ten drunks that were left there in the crowd, which, I mean, we've had a lot of those nights, right, coming up. Have you ever played, like, a really divey place coming up where you, you get a good story? No, have you ever played a uh, place that was a real dive? Uh, yeah, I got, I got a few stories. I got a, another crazy story, though. Like I, I played a Dominican festival once. Yeah. And there was no host or anything. And uh, it was just me and this other comedian. We had to open up the show. 
so she she handed me the mic cold and said, and told me to open up the show. Uh, she let some white guy go up and start the Dominican festival. The people did not want me on on the stage at all. <laughs> I, I, listen, I was two minutes into my set. And somebody yelled, get the fuck off the stage. Oh, that good, that good of a night, huh? I've had nights yeah. where, yeah, you know, somebody tells me you're the headliner. We got two people opening for you. I show up. Oh, the openers didn't show up, so you're going up first. Like, wow, what, I got to go up cold here? I get no no warm-up, nothing mildly canceled? Like, I played a place up in Worcester once in the middle of the show. Some old lady came in with a brown paper bag and was trying to sell people fish out of a brown paper bag. That was one of the classy joints I played coming up, but nobody starts at the top, you know, including Dice. Yeah. He was at the comedy store performing for 10 drunks. Uh, in, um, in 1982, he got his first role in Wacko. That was, uh, I, you know, I remember the name. I don't think I've ever seen the movie, but I do remember him getting a role in that. Uh, then one end of the comedy store, they asked him to fill in for a comic that had canceled, and this was mainstream time. And he didn't have his props to go up with to do his, you know, characters and stuff. He, so he said he just went, all, went up and said whatever popped into his head. And uh, that, that was actually the crowd really responded just to doing him doing the crowd work and insulting people like that. Uh, that performance led out to him on roles on MASH and Different Strokes. Do you remember those two shows? Yeah. I mean, those were the shows of the time, MASH and Different Strokes. They were both held the number one spot from TV for a while, so I mean... To get on shows like that, even as an extra, that's just huge to add to your resume coming up, you know? Yeah, I mean, I like different strokes, but I always thought MASH was kind of boring. Well, yeah, I never get into MASH myself. I mean, you can't argue the numbers it did. It wasn't my type of thing anything. But what's one of the biggest things you've done in comedy so far? Biggest things I've done in comedy. What's your claim to fame? What's your number one credit? It's probably just this podcast. All right, you've been up playing like a clown podcast. There you go. It's downhill <laughs> after here, Sean. You've reached the top. But uh, well, Landon Rolls on those sitcoms uh, went on to do feature films and Making the Grade, Pity and Pretty and Pink, and Casual Sex. Then, did you see any of those movies or no? No. So it's pretty much just a stand-up you were a fan yeah, of, uh, yeah, not so much as his movie career, which I mean everybody remembers him for. He didn't have a huge movie career, but. Uh, now, here's what I didn't know. His big break came in 1988 when he performed at an all-male Big Brothers event in Hollywood with Hollywood's royalty and elite were there to watch him. And they said he had a killer set that night. The next day, 20th Century Fox offered him a deal. So that was where he actually broke, can you imagine, a Big Brothers event. Uh, after that, he then landed uh, an appearance on Rodney Dangerfield's Young Comedian Special, Nothing Goes Right, where he did seven minutes. But that launched him to national recognition, which, like we already said, I mean, Sam Kennison did six minutes on the Dangerfield special, and the next day he was the hottest comic on the planet. So, I mean, when you get national recognition like that, you only get a few minutes, you better make it count. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Sam Kennison on Dangerfield is probably, like, the best six minutes of stand-up comedy ever. Oh, he was, nobody knew who he was. Six minutes later, he was the hottest comic on the planet. It was, it was just an overnight success. Uh, let's see, in uh, September of 1989, he did a set at the MTV Music Awards. He did some dirty nursery rhymes on TV, which you can't swear on TV when he did, and that led to a lifetime ban from MTV. Do you remember that appearance? Oh, on MTV? Yeah, I remember that. I mean, MTV, that was the biggest thing at the time. I mean, they were pulling in ratings that were just insane. Everybody was watching MTV. And, I mean, he went on there, and he became... 
The news the next day that he got banned for life from MTV, I think, was bigger than if he had a good set and MTV would have had him back. The fact that he was banned, it was like, whoa, we got to go see this guy. What did he get banned from? Especially with the young people that were seeing him at the time, you know? Yeah, it was good publicity at the time. Yeah, I remember, too. I remember they started putting the parental advisory stickers on the CDs. And one of who, Nikki Six from Motley Crue, was like, do it, man. I mean, you put that on there, the kids will be dying to buy the thing, you know? It was like, it was the same thing. He, you know, he got banned, the kids were dying to see him, you know? So bad publicity yeah. became good for him, actually. But uh, let's see, uh, after that, Clay performed two unadvertised, largely improvised sets at Dangerfield's Comedy Club in New York. He recorded them for release of his second album called The Day the Laughter Died. Released in 1990, it sold over 250,000 copies in the first seven weeks and reached number 39 on Billboard. Uh, do you remember that album, The Day of Laughter Died? Yeah, that's actually that's one of my favorite CDs, is, uh, The Day of Laughter, Laughter Died Part 2. Part 2. Now that was actually him bombing on stage. Now that takes balls for a comedian to put out a CD or a tape, cassette tape at the time of him bombing, right? Yeah, in front of only, like, probably 20 people. Well, that's what he said. The reason he did it, it was because it was the ultimate late-night set. You know, it wasn't that the material was bad. But, you know, when you go on that late at night, people are tired. They're ready to go home. They want to get out of there. They'll listen to you out of respect, but, you know, you're not getting their full attention. They're drunk and ready to leave. But he showed people it was the ultimate late-night set. Because I've dealt with it before, you know. How many times you go up and you perform with five, ten people that are left over, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, I go up late a lot. Yeah, everybody thinks you start at the top in this business. You don't. You better make the most of that time, you know, if you want to get a better spot earlier with the crowd there, you know? Yeah, and Dice was uh, used to those late-night spots, too, because Mitzi Shore used to always make him go up late. Yeah, because of his material was offensive. He didn't want to offend anybody. He really had to work to get some primetime, you know, primetime minutes. Well, everybody did, but, I mean, I think they finally put in, like, they do now, I think, down at the Comedy Connection around, they have a... Uh, a dirty night where, you know, it's only dirty comics now. I think they might have started that back then where, you know, the people go and they expect it's a dirty because they call it dirty night, you know? Yeah, it's my kind of show. Oh. What's going on over there? Sounds like something's... You got a dog or something? No, I got an airplane going by now. I got an airplane going by. All right. As long yeah, as you're okay, right you know, we're worried about you. Let's yeah, see, uh... He performed on Saturday Night Live, and it was the fourth, the fourth highest-rated episode ever in Saturday Night Live history. Can you imagine that? With all the legends they've had on Saturday Night Live, he holds the number four most-watched episode. Yeah, Sinead O'Connor canceled their spot, too, didn't she? Yeah, Nora Dunn and Sinead O'Connor both canceled their spots because they were offended because he picked on women. And, uh, you know, Dice later wrote in his book, the reason Nora Dunn did it, because her contract was up with Saturday Night Live at the end of the year, and she wasn't going to get renewed. So she felt if she did that, it might cause her some publicity, you know. So it was only a publicity stunt by her. Uh, Sinead O'Connor, she canceled her appearance. Then later she went on there and ripped up a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live, and you ain't never heard from her again. So uh, can you imagine that saying Dice is offensive for picking on women and then going on Saturday Night Live and ripping up a picture of the Pope? How, how offensive is that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I want to check your own activity before you start, you know, picking on other people. But uh, he appeared on the Opie Anthony and uh, Howard Stern show. You will listen to any of those shows? Uh, 
Yeah, I remember listening to Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony back in the day. Back in the day. He was a regular on those with his uh, opening act, Jim Norton. And Jim Norton, actually, he's now the co-host of the Opening Anthony show. But actually, I saw Dice. He came to Massachusetts. Now, this was after his big popularity went by. He took some time off to raise his kids, and his popularity dwindled. But he was still playing in small clubs. He played a 99 Steakhouse here in Andover, Mass. And I went to that show, and Jim Norton was his opener. This was before Jim Norton became popular. I seen both of them. I was two seats in a steakhouse from Dice and Jim Norton. Those are those are the right. nights you remember right there. <laughs> wow. Have you have you ever had a brush with uh any famous people in this business yet or? Uh yeah, I mean I ran into Bill Burr. Bill Burr came by Nick's one night. Really? Into the spot, yeah. Did you do a set that night? He was on. No, I didn't. I didn't get to go up. Oh, you were just hanging out, yeah. Yeah, just heard. I just heard he was gonna be there dropping in. Oh, that's cool. You get to see Bill Burr at a small club like that because he's playing the big stadiums. He's a funny guy. I love Bill Burr. All right, let's see. Uh, he went on to do a sitcom called Bless This House where he dropped his dice persona and he tried to become a TV dad like Bill Cosby. Do you remember that show? No. Yeah, it was uh, it? it was called Bless This House. It didn't last that long because the fans wouldn't accept him. He was known for dirty comedy, and he tried to drop the dirty comedy and be on, I think it was on ABC. And he tried to uh, become like a TV dad like Bill Cosby, but nobody would accept him. And he didn't want to do it. The producers told him to do it. They're like, well, we'll start off slow, then like later we'll put some balls into the character. But they never let him, you know, be the edgy comedian he was. So I don't know. It wasn't many episodes that lasted, but that was when he tried to drop his uh, dirty persona. But he came back. Yeah, uh, what's that? Sometimes when... Uh comedians get those sitcom jobs it, it makes their stand-up career I mean their stand-up like routines go like downhill yeah I mean look at Eddie Murphy yeah. was on Saturday Night Live doing clean humor then if you went to see you know if you brought your kid to go see him he was filthy as hell so it's not always you know you, you have limitations on TV and I've done some local TV spots and it's tougher than people think because you got rules and time limits and it's not as easy as a live show at all uh, let's see, uh, he went on to do Dice Undisputed on VH1, it was a reality show. Did you watch any of that? Yeah, I've seen some of that, yeah. Yeah, I, I watched, I think, almost every episode of that. I thought it was interesting, I was sad when they canceled it, because it gave you a behind-the-scenes look at his life, you know, and, uh, he was going through some, uh, he was going through a divorce, and, is, you know, now this guy, it was a short time, right? But he was the number one comic on the planet, and he ended up broke. He said that, you know, he said he lost half his money in a divorce, and then he lost the other half that he had left in child support payments. And he was on Howard Stern talking about this. Can you imagine selling out Madison Square Garden and, and, and things like that and ending up broke in your career? No, but the shit happens, man, you know. <laughs> like you, can, you can have a Netflix special today, and tomorrow you're still going to be in the shitty-ass clubs that you, you started in. Yeah, I've heard of comics, you know, they get a show on the Tonight Show or something, and they think, that's it, this is launching my career, and they say the next day absolutely nothing happened, you know, so you don't know what's going to make you big and what's not, but... Let's see, he was on The Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump. Do you remember watching him on there or no? No, but I, I, I read about it. I watched him on there. He was the first one to get kicked off, so he only lasted one episode, but... uh. He said that they, they cut out a lot of stuff, that Donald Trump really treated him bad, but they cut that out. Then he ended up, he said he was going to quit the show, and Donald threw him off because he didn't want him to quit, but he didn't last long on there. 
Uh, in 2011, he was featured on Entourage. Did you see any of that? No, I don't. I, I ain't got time for TV. You're not into the TV thing. It's becoming a thing of the past, TV. Everybody's going to the podcast, so tune in for Funny Like Clown podcast. Go there. Uh, 2014, he put out a book called The Filthy Truth. In uh, 2015, I didn't know that. I gotta look this up. He did the Blue Show on Showtime, where he hosted a bunch of comedians doing blue comedy. Which yeah, I, I, seen I mean, that. I seen that. oh, did you see that? Who who did? Was there any other big names, or was it a bunch of no names that he brought on there with him? I want to say Jim Norton was on it. Okay. But uh. Jim, he was real young too. Yeah, this I mean, there's there's few places and there's few comics that'll give a blue comic a break. You know, there's less places you can perform and less people that want to work with you and. I know a lot of comics, they're quitting comedy from back in the day because they're so sick of people getting offended by everything, you know? Yeah, you gotta watch what you say up there. It's a different day and age. Uh, Showtime gave him his own series, Dice, which, uh, that was actually a pretty good show. I enjoyed it. Pick up, picked up for a second season, but the early into it, it got canceled out. And, uh, 2017, he competed in his with his wife on uh, My Kitchen Rules. It was a uh, a cooking show that he had had. But alright, let's get into his discography because this is probably where you remember him for. In 1989, he put out his first uh, cassette tape called Dice. Do you remember that one? That was when he first hit it big? Yeah, yeah. I remember him coming out with a leather jacket. Yeah, yeah, that was on the cover. Yeah. Nin 1990, it was The Day the Laughter Died, which we already talked about where he was bombing, but it was the ultimate late night set. Uh, 91, he did Dice Rules. I think that was, uh, from Madison Square Garden. He, he recorded that one. Remember he had the rhinestone studded jacket on there? It was all rhinestones on the back? Yeah, that was the Dice Man Comet, right? Yeah, right, yeah. And then, uh, in 92, he put out 42 Long. Uh, did you listen to that one, 42 Long? No, I, I remember at the end of that one, some guy was was giving him shit in the audience. He's like, you're going to want to shut up. You're going to want to shut up. He got off stage, we're up to the guy, and then the CD went dead. They never let you know. I don't know if they got into it or not, but it was always <laughs> a major wonder that he kicked the guy's ass or what. Yeah. <laughs> then he came out in 93, The Day of the Laughter Died, Part 2. Now, you said you like Part 2. What, what are some of the jokes on there you like that he did? Uh, he's got so many gems on there. Uh, one, one that stands out is, He's like, uh, I'll fuck you with one sock on, so I have something to wipe my prick off. <laughs> That's a snapper. <laughs> I like that one. But uh, let's see, in 1993, he came out with No Apologies. In 1988, he came out with Filth. Now, and I remember Filth, the only place you could buy it was on his website. So it wasn't like a major release CD. It was really hard to get a hold of. If you, It was a three-part thing, uh, two CDs and one bonus CD. Then in 2000, he came out with Face Down, Ass Up. And then uh, the C the comedy CD's kind of gone a thing of the past because everybody's like trading them online for free and you can't really make any money out of it. So do you think that's a downfall for comedy that people aren't going to experience the CDs we did as kids? Yeah, I mean, everybody's going to the internet now. Yeah. So it's more it's more DVDs now that you got to pay to see you know per view or something because you play even even yeah. those and not many comedians sell merchandise on the road either. Yeah, I mean it's not easy where everybody you know everybody's got a camera they can pull it out and record you live. It's like everybody's getting too much for free. They're killing artists and what they do. Let's see. Let's go over his DVDs. He had one night with Dice. 
The dice man cometh. Dice rules for ladies only. And I remember when he did for ladies only, it was starting that the media was really, I mean, he didn't give a shit what the media thought, but he was really catching a lot of flack for picking on women. And for ladies only, he started picking on men instead of the women. And they said that was as close to an apology as you'd ever get from Dice was he started picking on men instead of women. So, uh, but I mean, you know, you can only go so far with free speech. And, you know, when people stop listening to you, you got to kind of give in a little bit. He gave in a little there. After that, he came out with no apologies. The Valentine's Day Massacre. Assume the position. I'm over here now. Undisputed and indespicable. Now, what, what, what do you remember any of those albums there? I, I seen a little bit of I, I remember he was the highest paid at the time comedian ever played Vegas. He signed a contract out in Vegas, and I think he did uh, two of them over here now and assumed the position. I think those are both from Vegas. And he still tours there now that it's over, but I mean, just some of this stuff, I mean... He even said himself during one of the eggs, I can't believe you people pay money to come see this stuff because he was just so off the wall filthy, you know? And it's like, but people yeah. were loving it. I mean, there there is a... He already had the following for Blue Comedy where if, if you started it now, it would be tougher because everybody's offended. But, I mean, he already has the following, you know, that follow him. They know what to expect when they go to see him so they're not getting offended, you know? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he can go on tour now and, and still sell seats. Oh, sure, yeah. He's, he's back making big money now with all his work he's done on Showtime and stuff. He said his dream, he wants to come back and sell out Giant Stadium. That's his goal. He's trying to make his comeback in his old age now that he's raised his kids. He took time off. He went through the divorce. He raised his kids. Now he's making his comeback, and he's trying to sell out Giants. Well, how about we take a few fan questions? You want to take those? Yeah, sure. All right, I'll tell you what the fans had to say, and you just give me your opinion on them. Uh, Mike Jacobs says, the nursery rhymes. What are, what are some of your favorite nursery rhymes you remember them for? Uh, I, I, there's just so many of them, I can't really pinpoint one of them. <laughs> but, I mean, those nursery rhymes are so good. Like, I mean, he wrote them a long time ago. I think he could still perform them because they're like classic songs, like, you know? Well, his, his son told him that. He stopped doing the nursery rhymes because, you know, everybody said he didn't put out no material. But coming out now, it's like his son told him, people want to relive their childhood. That's what they're going to see. They want to hear the nursery rhymes. It'd be like... Going to see Aerosmith and them not playing Dream On, or going to see ACDC and not playing Back in Black. It's like, you want to relive your childhood and growing up with those those nursery rhymes that he had. So he had to put them back into his act, and that's why he's selling seats again, you know? Yeah, and he had people, he had people like singing the punchlines, everything. Oh, yeah, right along. Now, maybe you can explain this one to me, because somebody wrote in a... That he stole the nursery rhymes from Otto and George. And I have no idea who Otto and George is. Do you have any clue what's going on there? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think he stole. I don't think he stole from them. Well, who the hell is Otto and George? Hume is very similar. You know, dirty, insultive comedy. Okay, now were they out before the Dice Man, or where, where, who are they? Uh, it was around the same time, in the eighties. Really? Yeah, early eighties. I don't want George. I never heard of him. I'm going to have to look him up. Okay, but uh, let's see. Uh, Mike Balbato writes in, uh, I don't like none of his work. He's a hack. Do you think he was a hack? No, I don't think he was a hack. No, because he was, it was innovative. He was he was the first comedian to even do something like that. Right. Well, i got to say this. This was my time I grew up on comedy, and I mean, this was like, I was a teenager. This was the peak of my comedy awareness. 
And uh, he, he actually did steal a couple of jokes from Sam Kinison on his first album where Sam Kinison put out a joke, uh, how does a guy look at another guy's hairy ass and find love? And then Dice put out a CD after him. Oh, I go to the beach and I see a hairy guy's ass and say I'm not leaving the beach till I get some of that. It was the same joke and it was rewritten a little bit different, which, you know, to Dice's credit, he admitted that. He's like, so what, I'm the first comic to steal another comic's joke, which, you know, it shouldn't happen, but, I mean, that's a main thing. Robin Williams got his ass kicked a couple nights at the comedy store because he sold some other comics routines, but well, what's your yeah, opinion feel, on stealing routines? I feel, that, I feel that happened a lot more back in the day because, you know, you know all you, you you only heard it in the clubs comedy. Right. Now they got the internet, so people. That's a good there. point. Yeah, if you that's what they say now. If you can get it on YouTube, you can date it that you were the first one that did it. I mean, so whoever gets it on YouTube first, it's yours because you've got it dated. You know. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Bill Sonier writes in. He was an innovator. He was rude and crude, but he was never personal. Which, I mean, he picked on women as a whole, but, I mean, he never named any names, you know, of people that he really went after, you know. He never really attacked personally anybody. It was always subjects. Yeah, no, it was all fun. It's comedy. Yeah. Well, they say even in comedy, though, I mean, there's a few things, you know, race, religion, and disease. Those are the big three in comedy you're not supposed to touch, but you either got a sense of humor or you don't. You either get it or you don't with this guy, you know. Yeah, it's, it's all how the audience member interprets it, you know? Right, right. I mean, there's guys like me and you, we don't get offended by nothing. And there's people like, you know, other people in this business, they get offended by everything. So it's all kind of, I guess, how you were brought up and, you know, what you used to. I mean, there's no right or wrong with it. But uh, let's see. Mike Mancuso writes in uh, a Ford Fairlane quote, uh, I get into the hottest clubs, bars, and chicks. <laughs> now, that that's a... A rude statement right there, but it's funny. I mean, I think it's funny. I don't take offense to it, you know. Yeah. But I guess if you're a girl, you know, you're going to get into a, you know, compared to a club and a bar, I guess you could get offended if you don't, you know, I try to tell everybody it's humor. It's not meant to be taken serious. It's meant to make you laugh. That's why it's funny, because you wouldn't do it in real life, you know. Exactly. And most of the shit I say on stage, I would never say off stage. Off stage, but... right. It's an act. It's what you do. It's... People go to relax. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to work. You want to laugh. Uh, but, you know, Ford Fairlane, it was like Star Wars. If somebody told you, hey, the new Star Wars really sucks, you're going to go see it anyway. And, you know, he was so big at the time where Ford Fairlane, even though it was flop, you had to go see it because he was just so big at the time, you couldn't say no. All right, let's see. Yeah. One of your friends, uh, Kenny Capozzi, writes in, I'll get back to you in an hour. Do you remember that? An hour back. Hour back. Get it? <laughs> Now, he went to prove there was there was nothing on that actual joke. It was just his delivery. He kept saying, I'll get back in an hour. Back, get it? Never explained what it was about, but his delivery was so funny. It didn't matter what he was saying, you know, so. Yeah, a lot of the time it's just in the delivery. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was no actual joke there. It was just he was saying a line, but he said it was so funny. And so many times it became funny. So delivery's a, a lot in comedy. It's not just having a good joke where... Have you ever worked at a comic who's had like a killer joke, but his stage presence and delivery is so awful it just don't go over? Oh, yeah, I see it all the time. I know, and I think to myself, man, you know, g give me that joke, I'd tear the place up with it, you know, and it's like, but it just, you know, mic time, mic time, mic time, that's what'll get you remembered. Uh, all right, you ready for some trivia? We end every show with some trivia. You ready? Yeah, I'm pretty dumb. 
All right. Well, I'm going to give you three questions about the Dice Man, and I, I, I'll say nobody ever does good on trivia. Most people go for three. A couple people go have gotten two right. Most people go one or zero, but it's information anyway. Um, I will say, if you do go three for three, we send you a bottle of the G Vegas Buffalo Sauce, our sponsor. Do you like Buffalo Sauce? Yes, I do. All right. You go three for three. We're going to ship you out some G Vegas Buffalo Sauce. All right, Dice claims that he helped reunite this famous band that he once opened for. Who is the band? I have no clue. Dice claims that he helped reunite this famous band he once opened for. It was Guns N' Roses. Uh, uh, that was, I was just going to say that. See, well, you said you didn't know, so I gave you the answer. But I know, I know, I know. He I said know. he was so nervous, too, about opening up for Guns N' Roses because it was a musical band that he didn't know how they'd react to comedy. And he said five minutes in, he could have stood there all night. They really accepted him, but I guess Guns N' Roses and Dice, they got the same audience, so it all worked out. All right, let's see. Uh, number two, MTV lifted the Lifetime band that they had, that they had on Dice Man. In what year? What year did they lift the band, the Lifetime band on? I'm going to guess with 94. No, no, way past that. <laughs> he was still there. It was 2011. They finally lifted the Lifetime band on Dice, which they don't even play music on MTV anymore. I don't even know if anybody's watching it. So maybe in a retrospect, they kind of did it for publicity to get people <laughs> listening to them again. I don't know, you know. Dennis, Dennis, what year did they start the band? That was uh, 89. 89. So 89, they started the band, and it lasted all the way till 2011. All right. Uh, let's see. All right. Let's see if we can get one for three. What adult magazine was he featured in? Penthouse. Penthouse it is. You got one. Boom. One for three. Not bad. That's what most people do. All right. So thank you for being on Funny Like a Clown podcast, Sean. Before we go... Being an Andrew Dice Clay fan, what would you want other fans to know about him? What would I want other fans to know about him? Uh, just check out his work, man. Keep an open mind. Don't like, get insulted. It, it, it's, like, it's like a history lesson because the shit he was doing back then could never work nowadays. But honestly, I think I think this whole this whole PC culture thing, I think it's going to come full circle. And we'll see edgy comedy come back. I would hope so. I love the blue comedy, and it's just getting tougher and tougher, and people are leaving the business, and I hope, you know, people stop getting so offended. Like Andrew Dice Clay, he didn't care who got offended. He did it, and it worked, and I think it can still work, because there's guys like me and you who still love the shit, right, Sean? Yeah, because I look at it like this. If you're doing comedy, and you're not trying to, like, boundaries or, like, step over lines, what the fuck are you doing, you know? Yeah, I know. I often say, you know, if you can't take a joke, then what the fuck are you doing in a comedy club, you know? I mean, do, do you go there just to get pissed off? <laughs> yeah, and a lot of these comedians, it's surprisingly that they can't take jokes. Yeah. It's a different day and age. Like, I hope you said it comes full circle. Well, thank you for being on Funny Eric Clown Podcast, Sean. Uh, now, you're still doing a podcast. You want to plug that real quick before we go? Yeah, it's called In the Gutter Podcast. Where can they check, check it out? Right? Check that out on iTunes. Uh, we do video on YouTube. It's all over. Wherever you can find podcasts, you can find us. All right. In the Gutter Podcast. So Google In the Gutter Podcast and they can check you out. Well, good luck on the Boston Comedy Scene and we'll see you soon. Thanks a lot, Dennis. I'll see you around. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. All right, comedian Sean Saro on living legend Andrew Dice Clay. And like I said, few, few comedians get the claim they were the number one comedian on the planet. And it may have been for a short time, but for a short time, he was the number one comic on the planet.
and uh, such just a legendary career. He put out so many CDs, so many videos, just gone everywhere, done everything, and uh, I, I hope he reaches his goal of selling out Madison Square Garden. And what I didn't forget to mention here is I just saw a few minutes ago, and I, I should have got Sean's opinion on this, but I just saw that he announced him and Roseanne Barr are going on a tour together. So you're going to get the Dice Man and uh, Roseanne Barr together. They're going to call it the Mr. and Mrs. America Tour. So watch that tour coming soon. And uh, those two, they both started out at the comedy store together. So, I mean, I guess that's a... Uh, I had a chance once to see Don Rickles and Joan Rivers at the local casino. And I turned it down thinking, oh, I'll see them next time. Not thinking, you know, how old they were. They both passed away. I'll never see them again. I so regret not seeing that. So go check out the Dice Man. This is Funny Like a Clown Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. We talk about comedians, the mainstream kids. You like comedy. Tune us in. Let's make this the biggest podcast going. And until next time, keep laughing. Good night.